From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Amidst the Me Too movement, the comment period on the Education Department's proposed rules to revamp the way colleges and universities handle allegations of sexual harassment and assault ended on January 30th. The response was overwhelmingly negative, with most commenters worried the rules would deter victims from coming forward. If finalized, the rules would require schools to start disciplinary proceedings with a presumption of innocence. They would allow both accuser and accused to hire lawyers to represent them and to cross-examine each other. Under guidance issued by Barack Obama's administration, schools now use a preponderance of the evidence standard in these cases, determining guilt if the evidence leans in that direction. The Trump administration would allow colleges and universities to use a standard more friendly to the accused of clear and convincing evidence. And the rules would have schools adopt a narrower definition of sexual harassment, as set by the Supreme Court 26 years ago, that says it is, quote, unwelcome conduct on the basis of sex that is so severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive that it denies a person access to the school's education program or activity. My guest today, Patricia Hamill, joining us by phone, is a Philadelphia lawyer who filed comments that are mostly supportive of the proposal on behalf of 40 law professors and practicing attorneys. We are going to find out why. Well, welcome, Patricia, to our show. Thank you, Sean. I'm glad to be here. Patricia, can you first tell our listeners about yourself and about your, your law practice? Sure. I uh, practice in a law firm in Philadelphia called Conrad O'Brien, and I have been practicing for about 30 years, and I was originally a commercial litigator. But about five years ago, a family called me whose son had been expelled from Swarthmore College uh, subsequent to a Title IX proceeding, and they asked if I could help. And I said I would do my best. And uh, after I got involved in his matter and we ended up having to sue the college, uh, we got him a good result. Uh, the phone has been ringing ever since, and my practice has morphed into I represent mostly accused students in Title IX proceedings. Title colleges IX being and uh, sexual harassment cases. Sexual har harassment or sexual misconduct cases uh, brought in a college setting, college or university setting, and I either represent them at the college or university level, or sometimes if things haven't gone so well, people come to us after they've gotten a bad result, and we've brought litigation against colleges and universities on behalf of those students. And with the statement you issued alongside your comments, you said, in general, you're not a fan of the Trump administration. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. And I, I think uh, a lot of times people think anybody who's representing accused students in these sexual misconduct proceedings must be a particular type of uh, have a particular political view or social view, and I certainly don't fit a stereotype. I'm a feminist. I'm married to a woman. I'm a graduate of a women's college. I'm the mother of two teenage sons and a college-age daughter. 
I'm a liberal Democrat, but I come to these issues as a lawyer who cares about fairness in the process for everybody. And I don't mean to in any way diminish uh, those who claim or have claims of sexual assault or harassment. They need to be taken very seriously. But those who are accused also need to have a fair process and an ability to defend themselves. And that's where I come from. So we hear that sexual harassment and assault is pervasive on college campuses and that it's very difficult for victims to get justice. In your practice, what have you found? I believe that I think there is a heightened awareness uh, in the world in general today and certainly on college campuses uh, of the rights of victims or those who feel that they have been victims of sexual assault. I'm not sure uh, whether there is an increase. I I think there's an increase in awareness uh, of this, of rights and and victims or those who claim to be victims are coming forward um, and and making claims. And that is definitely going on on every college campus um, across the nation. And do you think that the system we've had in place has been slanted against those victims when they come forward or not? I don't. I, I don't think so. I think in certainly, I do think there were many, many years where colleges and universities did turn a, a blind eye or a deaf ear uh, to claims of sexual assault. But I do think that once the Department of Education, the Dear Colleague letter of 2011, which basically told colleges and universities they better take uh, these types of claims very seriously, I think there was a real sea change. And uh, schools started to take these claims seriously. And also, I think that had effect of diminishing the rights of accused students, which is sort of the environment we've been operating in in the last uh, six or seven years. Okay, you mentioned right there the 2011 guidance. This was issued by the Education Department when Barack Obama was president. It aimed to... to, to encourage victims to come forward, and it made some changes in the process uh, for colleges and universities. Tell us about that guidance and how it affected the way colleges and universities are handling these cases. Well, I think one of the most important, um, from the perspective of somebody who um, has a claim of sexual assault, first of all, it, it required schools to put in place a lot of support services and an apparatus to Uh, handle these types of claims and to handle them in a way uh, that in many colleges and universities changed the standard of proof that was used uh, to address basically a student discipline problem. Prior to 2011, a lot of colleges and universities used a clear and convincing standard. They use it for academic integrity, plagiarism, those types of things. They were using that standard uh, to address issues of sexual misconduct, Um, Which means the vast majority of the evidence. Yes, the vast majority of the evidence, exactly. And they've gone to this preponderance standard, which uh, is 51%, right, or just over half. It's more likely than not. It is a much lower standard of proof, um, and, and they made it very clear that that should be the standard that's being used in these types of proceedings. The other piece, I think, that was very Um, important and had a dramatic impact was they made it very clear, the guidance made it clear that under no circumstances should uh, claims of sexual assault be mediated between the parties so that it basically funneled any time anybody came 
and made a complaint that they had been sexually assaulted in any way, no matter how, and I don't mean to minimize in any way, but there certainly are, there is a spectrum of behavior that is usually addressed in these proceedings, but without any sort of mediated option, these things turned into these formal proceedings that, that regardless of maybe parties would have benefited from sitting down, from being able to talk things out with somebody who could skillfully guide a conversation that completely got off the table and these uh, proceedings uh, got underway. Okay, so this new proposal put forth by the Education Department under President Trump and its Education Secretary, Betsy DeVos, it's improved the process or made it fair? It would. Well, it would. I was going to say they're not enacted yet. Yeah, if it were finalized. Yes, I I think what it would do is um, open up for a both with respect to complainants' rights and respondents' rights, um, an ability to really, I think, get at the truth uh, in a way that hasn't been uh, possible in the proceedings that have been on most college campuses in the last uh, six years. And by getting at the truth, I mean really getting um, a full sense of evidence, both what's helpful and what's harmful to each party, each party being able to really question the other party, and I don't mean grill the other party or anything like that, but really probe at the truth or the the whatever narrative. And again, it's not just that a responding student gets to um, have a representative cross-examine a complaining student. The complaining student has that same right as against the responding student. So both parties have an ability to more robustly get at the truth of a situation than is currently in place in most of the proceedings uh, across the nation today. Interestingly, a lot of the colleges that have filed their own comments have opposed this idea of allowing for cross-examination in these proceedings. And they said, look, our disciplinary process is not a courtroom. We don't want to mimic a courtroom process. It becomes too adversarial. It will discourage victims from coming forward. Why do you think cross-examination is crucial? I think it's crucial because of the more than 100 situations I'm aware of just from my own um, representation of students where I've seen um, how limited um, an accused student's right, and, and frankly, sometimes the complaining student's right is to really be able to um, test what the other party is saying. And most of these cases come down, many, I should say, the vast majority come down to a credibility issue. There's usually not some sort of objective video evidence or text message that that absolutely definitively um, would resolve the issues. It usually comes down to credibility. And the best way to test credibility is to be able to probe somebody's story, somebody's narrative. And I want to make it really clear that I I think that colleges and universities can still limit how a representative goes about doing that cross-examination. So if you're coming in and you're bullying somebody or trying to intimidate them, there there are ways for colleges and universities to say to that representative, you can't you can't come in here, you can't do that. And I I think a good example is during the Ford Kavanaugh hearings when you saw how, I think her name was Rachel Mitchell. The lawyer for the, the Republican the, on the side. Right, Senate. exactly. Did the questioning, That's it's very methodical. Um, it's not designed to make somebody feel 
um, or to take away their dignity. It's just to probe. There's usually some gray areas around anybody's story, no matter how credible they are, and you should be entitled to probe that. There's some lawyers who say, well, maybe we should allow for something short of uh, cross-examination where the quasi-judge or the disciplinary board would ask the questions on behalf of the accuser and the accused without the other party present. Does that make any sense? Uh, that actually is what goes on on most colleges today, on most college campuses today, and it's a very ineffective way, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Part of cross-examination is being able to flow with what somebody's saying. So there, you may have a series of questions you think mm -hmm. you're going to ask, but you need to be able in real time to adjust to whatever that person said, or it may be a little less clear than, than it should be, and to be able to come back at them to get at what you're trying to, to get at. To hand that, Yeah, to hand that off. What happens now and what they're really proposing is you hand up, let's say, 10 questions, and they'll start asking them. And if I were asking the questions after two, I might say, I'm not going to ask anymore because I got what I needed. Or though I'm going to ask a third question I didn't even know I was going to ask. And there's absolutely no flow to what happens in these proceedings because it's a very static process that gets in place when you hand up a list of questions to a third party. So I, I don't find that effective at all. You're listening to CQ on Congress. You can subscribe to this podcast on any podcast app or find us at rollcall.com. I'm back with Patricia Hamill, a Philadelphia lawyer who defends those accused of sexual assault and harassment on college campuses, talking about the Education Department's proposed rules to alter the way colleges and universities handle those cases. So, Patricia, another part of the rules would reduce the potential liability of colleges and universities themselves. For example, they may not be responsible for events that occur off campus if they're not in some way connected with the college's program. Is that the right thing? That is one of the things we addressed in our uh, group comment that we did. Um, I do think that there needs to be more guidance from the department on um, what is, I think the term is, is related to an education program or activity. And, and certainly people raise concerns that off-campus housing or off-campus fraternities might not fall into that that definition. And I, I think that much of the type of conduct that we see coming through these Title IX proceedings at colleges and universities today, a lot of it does occur in off-campus housing. It does occur in unrecognized Greek, you know, sorority or fraternity houses off campus. But I think if the definitions can be where the guidance can be clearer that if there can be times where housing is absolutely related to an education program or activity, even if it's not directly in campus-owned housing. I think there's ways to deal with that, but I think it needs to be clear, and I think the jurisdiction of the Title IX processes at a college or university need to be very clearly defined in the student code so students are on notice of you know, what, where the line ends, I guess, in terms of uh, the school's reach. Well, there seems to be the view of, of those critical of the proposed rules that why would uh, an alleged victim make this stuff up, right? I mean, are there, are there reasons that people make these stories up, or are they just misunderstandings where it's not really a case of innocence or guilt? What do you see in the, in the cases that you've 
you've handled? Well, one of the things that we, um, and I don't like to use the term false allegation or, or anything like that, and I think one of the, and we, we tried to bring this out in, in, in the comments that we filed, a lot of these cases um, or situations are very murky. You have a lot of times uh, young people who aren't so great at communicating anyway. Uh, they may be very sexually inexperienced. There's oftentimes drugs or alcohol involved. There's oftentimes people who don't know each other very well. And again, I'm not diminishing or, or, or saying that sexual assault is not, you know, significant and serious, but I have found there's a broad spectrum of, of situations that come into these Title IX proceedings, and not all of them are what you know people think of when they think of sexual assault on college campuses. They're very murky. There were over 100,000 comments filed on this, and the vast majority were critical of what the Trump administration is trying to do. Why do you think there's such an outcry, including from the colleges and universities themselves, uh, in favor of sticking with the Obama guidance, which you know holds them to greater account, puts you know potentially uh, they have more liability? Well, first of all, I think the Trump administration um, has some certainly many critics in in many ways and the department of education is is no exception in terms of of the critics who are out there um i think it's too easy to paint any attempt to balance out the rights of the parties or to um, make sure that students who are accused of misconduct which have the, the consequences for students who have been accused and found responsible are quite serious and i think that there is they're thrown out of college you know, they're thrown out of college and they're maybe not able to get into any other college um, because they're damaged goods. I think there's, there's a sense that if we increase some of the rights for accused students, we're somehow diminishing the rights for those who are victims of sexual assault or we're somehow not being taking those claims seriously. And I just do not think that these proposed regulations in any way diminish the importance, the significance of taking seriously claims of sexual misconduct, sexual assault. Um, and I just, I, and I think that's just too easy of a, it's for people who really haven't looked at, I think, closely at how these have been um, developed to balance out the rights of all the parties. And that's really what our comment where we were joined by um, 40 other law professors and attorneys is, is designed, I think, I hope we came across as a balanced group of people who understand the seriousness of sexual assault on college campuses, the need to take it seriously, but also that the rights of accused students can't be lost in the shuffle and they need to be taken seriously as well. Well, thank you, Patricia, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's also available at rollcall.com. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit rollcall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at rollcall.